I want to thank uh, Reverend Rachel Lonberg and for the and to the people of People's Church for your warm welcome and inviting me into the pulpit. Uh, thank you very much. Very gracious hospitality. I uh, want to also thank uh, Dirk for uh, the kind introduction. Uh, also, that uh, uh, Dirk uh, uh, d- uh, failed to mention this, and I want to thank him for failing to mention this, uh, that I used to work for Oscar Mayer Meat Company selling bologna. Uh, I appreciate the omission of that uh, and allowing me the opportunity to uh, uh, engage in a joke that has lasted my entire lifetime. So there you go. Uh, I want to, to acknowledge that, uh, that when I came in this morning in the uh, foyer, seeing Fred and Ann Campbell, it was just, it's wonderful to be with you to, uh, and together with you. Fred's uh, mother was on my search committee in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Fred, uh, the church that Fred grew up in. Uh, Fred had grown up by that time. Uh, just, I'm going to point that one out. Uh, his mother was on my search committee. Uh, Fred's mother and father, Sally and Francis Campbell, not only helped build that church uh, into our largest uh, congregation, uh, but also helped to build Tulsa. And Fred uh, and his entire family are uh, 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 paragons for how you, ser- uh, you provide service, not just uh, religious service, but also civic service. Uh, it's great to, to see you all this morning. I was Looking down your hallway there, there's so many of your ministers that I know or have known. Uh, when I was in Tulsa, I tried to hire Jill McAllister. She was out in the Pacific Northwest. I couldn't get her to come to Tulsa. Uh, it's the northern suburb of Texas. Yeah, that's right. So I couldn't get her to come. Uh, and then when I came here, she was already here, and she uh, preceded me as president of the ministers in the district when this was a district, so I've known Jill for quite some time. I knew uh, Davidson Lohr. I knew uh, uh, Roger Greeley. Uh, of course, everyone in Michigan knows Carolyn Bartlett Crane. If you don't know, my goodness, get up on your Michigan history. She's one of the... She is... She, uh, she is a progressive voice, uh, well ahead of her time, still ahead of her time, even though she's uh, been dead for some years. She is still ahead of her time. Um, Carolyn Bartlett Crane, and finally Edwin Palmer. I did not know Edwin, but his grandson was in my congregation, All Souls Community Church in Grand Rapids, the Unitarian Universalist congregation in Grand Rapids. Uh, Edwin's uh, grandson was in that congregation uh, and uh, looks just like Edwin. I, geez, I just, um, so it's, it, it's good to be in a place where I know so many of you uh, already. Uh, the readings this morning are two poems. My wife, uh, uh, who's the uh, lawyer at Grand Valley, uh, and keeps me in line somewhat, said, don't, don't give them poetry. It's too hard to understand, and I said, yeah, it is hard to understand. But poetry is a different way of understanding. It's a different way than prose. It's a different way than just talking. It creates a world in a very short amount of time. 
The first poem is the complete uh, Choose Something Like a Star from Robert Frost. The second is excerpts from T.S. Eliot's East Coker. They're two different worlds, but, but they're worlds that are created. O star, the fairest one in sight, we grant your loftiness the right to some obscurity of cloud. It will not do to say of night, since dark is what brings out your light. Some mystery becomes the proud. But to be wholly taciturn in your reserve is not allowed. Say something to us we can learn by heart. And when alone, repeat. Say something. And it says, I burn. But say with what degree of heat. Talk Fahrenheit. Talk centigrade. Use language we can comprehend. Tell us what elements you blend. It gives us strangely little aid, but does tell something in the end. And steadfast as Keats' Aramite, not even stooping from its sphere, it asks a little of us here. It asks of us a certain height. So when at times the mob is swayed to carry praise or blame too far, we may choose something like a star to stay our minds on and be stayed. So we go from looking up to looking out and around. T.S. Eliot. In my beginning is my end. In succession, houses rise and fall, crumble, are extended, are removed, destroyed, restored, or in their place is an open field or a factory or a bypass. Old stone to new building, old timber to new fires, old fires to ashes, and ashes to earth. In my beginning is my end. That was a way of putting it, not very satisfactory. Leaving one still with the intolerable wrestle with words and meanings. There is, it seems to us, at best, only a limited value in the knowledge derived from experience. The knowledge imposes a pattern and falsifies. For the pattern is new every moment. And every moment is new and shocking. 
I said to my soul, be still and let the dark come upon you, which is the darkness of God, as in a theater the lights are extinguished for the scene to be changed. I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. There is yet faith, but the faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light, and the stillness the dancing. You say I am repeating something I've said before. I shall say it again. Shall I say it again? In order to arrive there, to arrive where you are, to get from where you are not, you must go by a way wherein there is no ecstasy. In order to arrive at what you do not know, you must go, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance. In order to possess what you do not possess, you must go by the way of dispossession. In order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. And what you do not know is the only thing you do know. And what you own is what you do not own. And where you are is where you are not. Home is where one starts from. As we grow older, the world becomes stranger. The pattern more complicated of dead and living. Old men and women ought to be explorers. Here or there does not matter. We must be still and still moving into another intensity for a further union, a deeper communion. Through the dark cold and the empty desolation, the wave cry, the wind cry, in my end is my beginning. As you may or may not know, uh, uh, T.S. Eliot came from a long-standing Unitarian family of St. Louis Church. He has that way of being almost impenetrable. Almost. 
You know, moving from the practice of religion as a parish minister to a professor in the academic study of religion has required a change in viewing human activity and its meaning. As now, I would say, we are in the middle of sacred time and place as your particular tradition understands it. The lighting, and then a little later on, the extinguishing of this object, the chalice, is an act that marks off time, this time, marks off place, this place, as sacred time and place. Light a chalice or a candle here at any other time of the week, and it will be different for you. Or light a chalice or candle at this time in any other place in Kalamazoo, and it will be different for you. Lighting this thing signifies sacred time and place, simultaneously reenacted from previous Sundays. It's characteristic of this time for you that the person speaking say something they didn't say last week. That's odd. So you're supposed to say something different every week? That's distinctive. Simultaneously reenacted from previous Sundays and yet constructed differently in this Sunday. I think doing this act with all the activities inside of this time, in this place, the sounds, the stories, the witnesses and confessions, the windows onto people's worlds, the sitting, the standing. I think all of this creates an unseen world, a Virtual reality. As an overlay to the one you have outside of this time and this place. But that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Yet one way legitimately to describe you is you're the people who light the chalice. And while in parish ministry, I heard discussions, even heated arguments, concerning chalice lighting words. If the speaker had to believe them, if they said them, if the words represented the beliefs of the church in particular, or Unitarian Universalism in general, I mean, heated arguments about this. And similarly, it wasn't uncommon to look for the beliefs that bind Unitarian Universalists together, producing little wallet cards, so if you didn't remember them, you could pull out the card and hand it, saying, this is what we believe. 
I remember ministers noting that religion, the word, comes from the Latin relegare to bind back as a prelude to then a sermon on what are the beliefs that bind us together. So why the concern of what binds people together in a church? And especially, why the priority given to beliefs? Because that's not the whole story, not even most of the story. There are more meanings to the word religion than to bind back. That's not even the oldest one. Professor Jonathan Z. Smith identifies the scholar's study as the origin of the concept of religion. We create it in a little laboratory, call this thing religion, then go out and look to find it and say, there's religion. And we miss all of this over here. The same word, religion, is used to denote what Unitarian Universalism, for example, is as a history and tradition. It's also the same word that we could use to, to what an individual possesses. She got religion. She went to church. And to describe this activity, oh, that's what they do in their religion. The peculiar vitality of a humanly created word and concept used in a whole host of ways. So what exactly do you mean when you use the word religion? Are you talking about the activity? Are you talking about what one possesses when they go to a certain place at a certain time? Are you talking about what was created in the scholar's study, that laboratory, and brought out into the world? We create words and concepts, and we bring them to what we experience, to analyze, evaluate, and understand it. That was a way of putting it, not very satisfactory, leaving one still with the intolerable wrestle with words and meanings. Because as a word and a concept, religion has a history. In early Christian times, religion referred primarily to the careful performance of ritual obligations. And when somebody joined religion, it meant going into the monastery and adopting its life discipline. So originally the concept religion would be analogous to the careful lighting of the chalice candle or going into the ministry and not at all with particular beliefs. Of course, origin isn't everything. I was born a Hoosier, but today am a Michigander. Though it's still true, home is where one starts from. The meaning of religion in Christian Europe concerned ritual activity and entering the monastic life 
for over a thousand years until the 1500s and the Reformation and the age of European world exploration and Wolf Hall. Reformation thinkers evaluated Christian practice against the written word of the Bible and found no justification for many ritualized activities. You see, the knowledge imposes a pattern and falsifies. For the pattern is new in every moment, and every moment is new and shocking. They looked at the monk's life and saw little of Scripture reflected in it. They looked at ritual practice, saw little of Scripture reflected in it. Sola Scriptura was proclaimed. The sufficiency of written words and the beliefs contained in those words to decide what is appropriate ritual. Does the lighter have to really believe these words or not when lighting it? You see and appropriate ways to live. Home is where one starts from, and homes can change. And when our home changes, we can't use all knowledge from our previous home to understand the new one. Before living in Michigan, my wife and I lived in Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Illinois, the state of Washington, Tennessee, and Indiana. And as each new place involved arriving where we were not, to understand it, we needed to know where we had been and to distinguish it from the new home. Michigan is a lake culture. Oklahoma is not. (laughs) It's a boom and bust culture. When you move down there, it's not unusual to see a branch of Amoco oil on one corner and a pawn shop right across the street from it. Wisconsin? Oh, jeez. That's the state of La Follette and Ryan. Kind of schizophrenic. From the Reformation to today, the home denoted by the concept of religion has been built with belief. This has lasted for 500 years. Do you believe the Bible? I don't believe in the Bible. Do you walk your talk? What I believe, I do. Sincerity and truthfulness of belief. Do you think she really believes that? Came to be central to being religion. Being religious. Indicated by membership in a church, a synagogue, or a temple. I'm asked now... So do you go to church as if that's synonymous with being religious, you see? And without those connections, you are secular 
or irreligious. As in the recent Pew Research poll that found America is becoming less religious. Eh. Oh, less people are going to church. Mm. But you see, this home for the concept of religion is changing again. And if you don't change your concept, you won't see this. Remember, we create the concept. The home changing may be particularly difficult for traditions founded on and deeply invested in the idea that religion denotes belief or unbelief like this one. Do you believe in God? Do you not believe in God? Hear how central beliefs are to what we're looking for to identify that's religion. There are historical roots to your investiture in this. Because of your origins in the Enlightenment, Jefferson and Adams and Emerson and Channing, and the 18th and 19th century American experience, American. Your understanding of religion was forged in relationship to the concept of reason, which distinguished it, distinguished it with and against Christianity and Judaism. In the Reformation home of religion is belief, you're the people who hold to reason over allegiance to church doctrine or blind faith in determining belief. Because as it could be said, those who hold to blind faith would be fools not to peek. <laughs> reason in belief. Because I believe this or I don't believe that locates religion and locates it in the individual. And churches were built to be that way and be that kind of community. And in the, this understanding of rational religion, the internal debate concerned whether a human being would someday evolve out of the need for religious belief to identify what is true, belief in God walked the line between the irrational supernaturalism Christianity inclined towards and atheistic humanism which inclined towards an overestimating belief in human power and intelligence. The old theist Humanist debate raged in the 20th century, evolved into the central question of UU identity in the early 21st. Well, what is it that UUs believe? And for what it's worth, for what it's worth, which may be nothing, in the academic study of religion, it is no longer generally held that religion exclusively or even primarily is about belief. Hard to fathom, isn't it? What else could it be? 
Holding beliefs no longer sufficiently describe human experience. Any more than being religious means going to church and being irreligious means not going. Say it. In succession, houses rise and fall, crumble, are removed, destroyed, restored, old stone to new building, old timber to new fires, old fires to ashes and ashes to the earth. It's the same with our concepts, you see. T.S. Eliot, not quite so impenetrable now. Conceiving of religion as belief will inevitably pit people of different traditions against one another. Whether they're Jewish, Muslim, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, or Unitarian Universalist. We participate in this. Did you hear what they said over in that church the other day? Can you believe those people believe that? You see, we do that too. And interfaith efforts. Hear the assumption that religion involves beliefs and faiths. Interfaith efforts rooted in understanding religion as primarily or exclusively beliefs or involving faiths are doomed to failure. The knowledge imposes a pattern and falsifies. Ask the Hindu what he believes. He'll answer you because that's the way you do it in this culture. But that's really not what's central. It's bhakti, devotion. And don't get me started on the Buddhists. You'll never understand them. (laughs) Inner faith requires the practice of humility, the intentional act of suppressing the truth of the beliefs of one's faith. You can't do that. You can't. I'm going to put it on hold that my beliefs are true for just our time together. You, You can't do that. Religions as beliefs falsifies because people hold their beliefs as if they're embedded into existence instead of being things that we create and bring to our experience. So the Pew Research people say those who do not attend church are secular and irreligious. They're never going to understand those people. If only we as the Unitarian Universalist Church can get those who are spiritual but religious to come in here, you've got to change more dramatically than you think. We mistake our concepts for experience. Always. Always experiences wider and deeper than what our words and concepts can comprise. Understanding another is possible only by the path whereby we leave the home where religion is belief and risk a new view. Shall I say it again? In order to arrive there at understanding, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance. In order to possess what you do not possess, understanding. You must go by the way of dispossession. 
In order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. And so rather than humility as the central virtue in understanding and others so very different from me, the new place requires that curiosity be the center of that new home. O star, the fairest one in sight, we grant your loftiness the right to some obscurity of cloud. Say something to us we can learn by heart and when alone repeat. Say something like the beliefs on a card that I can memorize. And the star says, I burn. Curiosity, you see, originates in ignorance. Socrates described wisdom as knowing that I do not know. And he used, he used as an example, I went and talked to a politician who claims he knows. And I talked to Donald Trump and I found out he doesn't know. <laughs> but everybody says that he does. Old men and women ought to be explorers. Here or there does not matter. We must be still and still moving into another intensity for a further union, a deeper communion through the dark and empty desolation. Because that's what it's like when you leave home. That's what it's like when you give up. Religion is belief. When a concept changes, homes change, boundaries change, moving from one place to another is a calling, a risky adventure into a land that is obscure at first. And these geographical metaphors sustain religion's new home. It's the outlying of an area through activity. The activities you initiate by lighting the chalice to start the outline of a boundaries of an unseen order, like a virtual reality. An unseen sacred order that overlaps the seen one. You have to put goggles on to see it, because apparently without them, there, it's not there. Now it doesn't supplant what we see, because a candle and a flame are still a candle and a flame. But they're also something more. They're a torch lighting a path through an unseen sacred territory that is both old and new at the same time. Here and not here at the same time. Sacred time and place overlapping, but not supplanting ordinary time and place. 11.47. This unseen order evidences characteristics distinctive to you standing inside of it. Alongside souls living and dead. Carolyn Bartlett Crane sits in the middle of your congregation. 
just got to put on the virtual reality glasses to see her. And the boundary between the unseen sacred order and the profane ordinary one is held as a thin membrane in this tradition, characteristics of the way one can so readily impact the other. The activity of this time and this place is sacred to the extent that it reveals what at other times and in other places remains unseen until you make it seen. as a sacred order in which all souls exist and are enveloped in the love that is all around at all time. And so you use open their worship with the lighting of a chalice, close it off with the lighting of a chalice, are people who light the chalice. And create an unseen sacred order for just the time. A symbol of the love and unity with which all things exist. And then that light is extinguished. And you're called to relight it out there. As it has been through the ages by the service and sacrifice of individuals and communities. There abides a unity and freedom of the Spirit expressed through a love for all souls. So be it. Namaste. Shalom. Amen.